Welcome to episode 13 of Spotlighting the Indie Author, a podcast that shines a light on the independent author using book reviews and interviews with a dab of writing wisdom tossed in. It's time for Spotlighting the Indie Author's feature, 10 off-the-wall questions with our special guest. What's the worst job you ever had? Um, I didn't really have a job that I disliked. I, um, but I think if I was offered to clean hotel rooms again, I would probably respectfully decline. <laughs> I would have to agree with you. Would you rather put ketchup or ranch dressing on everything you eat? Ranch. If you could talk to any species of animal, what would it be? The domestic cat. Yeah, I got a feeling that would be a, a great conversation because, you know, nobody really owns a cat. They own you. Yep. And they always have this unimpressed look in their eyes. And you just want to know, what are they thinking when they're looking at you? <laughs> yeah. What weird food combinations do you really enjoy? Uh, hot coffee and cold pizza. It is the breakfast of champions. <laughs> Do you have a favorite coffee mug? If so, what's on it? Or what makes it your favorite? Um, I do. Uh, it's a large mug with a Tinkerbell, and she's stuck in a keyhole. And it's my favorite because I've had it for about 20 years, um, and it kicked off my collection of Disney mugs. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? Popping bubble wrap. <laughs> Popping bubble wrap? Yeah. Yeah, I'm that person. It's so satisfying. Like, you know. <laughs> I'll sit there and unwrap a package and I will pop all the bubbles and I love it. Yeah, it's sort of like a kid at Christmas who doesn't play with the Christmas toys. They climb inside the box that the toy came in. I guess it's yeah, the same. There you go. Yeah, same <laughs> effect. Okay, what's your favorite type of music? Um, I don't have a favorite type of music because I listen to everything. It really depends. Okay. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I'd be a little bit more outgoing socially. Would you rather have no eyebrows or have an extra finger? An extra finger. Okay. If you could jump into a pool full of something besides water, what would it be? Flowers. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Winkler, wondering who was answering Joseph's questions. The name behind the voice, none other than Avery Sterling. Avery is our surprise special guest. That's right. Today's show is a book review and author chat. Joseph will be reviewing The Cardinal Ace Code, written by Avery Sterling. The Cardinal Ace Code is packed full of steamy romance, suspense, and action. This is a tale of growing love between a female and a vampire, or as they like to be called, cardosapiens, and the code they must follow. The question is, can a human bound to a vampire's contract ever survive? This is Avery Sterling's debut release. Joseph will be talking to this talented author about that and more. Before I turn it over to Joseph, here's a little about Avery Sterling. Avery Sterling was born in Norwalk, Connecticut, and has always been a dreamer. Her greatest passion is writing romances. Avery spent a good part of her life traveling with the military. She learned energy work and massage therapy in Kailua, Hawaii. Avery also makes soap, candles, and other natural beauty products. Avery now lives at the gateway to the Western mountains of Maine with her husband and children. If she's not hanging out with her wonderful family and growing number of cats, she's staring out the window or lost in a novel. Avery never lost the passion for writing romances and in March of 2020 released The Cardinal Lee's Code. 
This tale proves how strongly Avery feels about every romantic journey that she creates should have elements of adventure, sweet banter, danger, tension, and gripping content. And of course, all that steamy romance. The show notes will contain all the links to Avery Sterling's website, social media accounts, and other profiles. Now to Joseph and Avery. Hi, I'm Joseph Clay, and I'm excited to introduce to you Avery Sterling. Avery, welcome to Spotlighting the Indie Author, and thank you for calling in. Thanks for having me, Joe. Before we get to the Carless Code, your bio Kelly read brought up some questions I would like to ask. Were you in the military, or is one or both of your parents in the military? Uh, my father was in the military. Okay. Well, give him our utmost appreciation. I will. There's a huge difference in climate between Maine and Hawaii. How long did it take you to adjust, or were there other stops in between the two? Yeah, there was a lot of stops between the two. Um, I lived in a lot of different places growing up. I traveled a lot. I uh, spent, uh, spent my time in places like uh, Puerto Rico, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Um, I even spent a couple of years in Tennessee. Oh, okay. Uh, Tennessee, that would yeah. be Clarksville. <laughs> can't remember the name of it. Fort Campbell. That's it. You got it. Fort Campbell. Yep. Yeah, Fort Campbell is actually in Kentucky, but it, half of it's in Tennessee. So it, it's just at the uh, post office is in uh it's in kentucky so oh is it so that's the reason they say it's in kentucky they put the freaking post office in kentucky okay yep yep that's what i always heard so (laughs) all right candle and soap making my youngest son and i were going to try our hands at this many years ago we heard that natural soap was better for the skin and we love candles with the fragrance if you don't mind tell me a little more about that um well i started as a hobby uh, for the same reasons that you know you were interested in it it's healthier and you kind of know what's going in your product and um so i tried it and uh, the soap was it was really fun i still use hand uh, homemade soap i don't buy it from the stores and um i also you know i worked with uh, soy and beeswax candles and uh, i even made the hand dipped candles uh, things like that so i mean I, I tried at it and i was good at it uh, so I started selling craft fairs, and eventually I owned my own soap and candle shop for a short time. Okay, great. Your, your bio stated that when you were not hanging out with your wonderful family and growing number of cats, Christy, who's one of our guest hosts, has nine cats. How many are you up to? <laughs> I am currently at seven. Seven, okay. You got two more to go to catch Christy. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it won't be long, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sentence about the cats continues stating, you were you could be found staring out the window or lost in a novel. What's your favorite genre to read? Oh, romance, of course. As writers, we all have writing influences. Who were yours? Um, well, you know, at the time I started writing, uh, I was reading historical romances uh, exclusively. Like, you know, I was addicted <laughs> to them. <laughs> so um, my in- <laughs> my influence was, you know, my favorite authors at the time, uh, like uh, Jude Devereaux, Joanna Lindsay, Brenda Joyce, Catherine Poulter. Sandra DeBay, um, all of them. They kind of influenced a lot of my stories, my writing. That's a good group to be influenced by. Now to the book, The Carly's Code. First, congratulations on your first novel. That is a great major accomplishment and one to be very proud of. Have you come down from the clouds yet? (laughs) Yes, I have. Amazon state the book contains 400 pages, which is about 100,000 words. That's a good-sized novel for a first-time author. When you started the writing process, did you have a word count or page goal? Um, 
no, I didn't. I just really started writing. And I thought, well, I'll just you know stop when the story's done. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen that way because the further I got along in the book, you know, the more layers I kept peeling back. And until so finally I told myself, wow, this could keep going. So I need to wrap it up somehow. <laughs> okay. All right. The title. How did you come up with it? Um, honestly, it had just started as um, the file name. You know, uh, I had just uh, finished writing The Vampire's Code, and uh, that's how I started the book. And I was thinking of, you know, vampires as this superior species, uh, fundamental, paramount, cardinal. Uh, so I jotted down Cardinalis Code to save the document, and by the time I finished the book, the file name just kind of stayed. It seemed appropriate. Okay, that's great. How much time did you spend researching vampires? A lot. I mean, I, I, I mean, everybody sort of grows up with vampires, you know. Um, I know I did. I watched the movies. I read the books. I, if I didn't read the books, then I had heard all about them. And uh, when I decided to write my own, I picked apart that compilation of ideas and assumptions that I had surrounding the vampires. And, and then the research began. I researched the lore, the history, uh, even misconceptions that had led to the belief of the dead rising. And uh, I even researched people, uh, real people today, who identify as vampires. Yeah, because it, it was a lot of research, you know, sifting through um, a lot of spins on, you know, different spins that, you know, uh, authors had had on vampires. And it was it was just fascinating, but a long process. And, it you know, it continued throughout the whole writing of the book. I don't want to give too much away about the story. And I will not touch on the ending, but I want to talk about the plot of the Cardless Code. The plot is amazing and strong, along with being unique. The uniqueness comes in as you thought of things that vampires deal with in their lives. You covered how and why they do certain things, like move after a certain length of time, how they survive amongst us without being noticed, and other bits of information. You weave these facts through the story perfectly. The question is, how did you come up with this complete concept? Um, well, I began developing the concept when I asked you know, myself, well, what seems more realistic? Because, you know, that was what I was going for was authentic behaviors and patterns, you know, uh, not just as individuals, but collectively. You know, you have this species that lives for centuries, has all the allure, all the status, all the advantage. But, you know, at the same time, they have to remain secret and they must adapt and evolve to blending with society. So I thought, well, you know, who would they be? How would they, you know, live their lives? And when, particularly when they have to reveal themselves to humans, um, they have to deal with all the stereotypes that came with the term vampire. The codes the vampires must live by that are listed in the front of the book. How did you come up with those? Uh, when considering that, you know, vampires have been living along humans uh, for so long, uh, and they're so closely related, you know, and the exchange of blood is, well, it's quite erotic. So I thought, well, you know, historically, there had to be some crossing of lines somewhere, you know. Um, circumstances would be overwhelmingly tempting. So I thought, well, you know, what interactions or behaviors could commonly occur, but would be dire for humans or vampires or both of them, and uh, would threaten their secrecy. So most importantly, uh, threaten the governmental body that controls them. So what would they want to kind of rein in on? And uh, those were the codes that I came up with. Perfect. Let's talk a little bit less about vampires and more about romance. I mean, after all, this is a paranormal romance. 
You did a great job with your steamier scenes between Michael and Paisley, and they were tastefully done. Sex scenes are difficult enough to write between normal humans. How in the world did you imagine how a person would react and what they were feeling as they made out with a vampire and being bit by one? The thoughts that Paisley has are humorous at times, but they're always on point. Yeah, um, Paisley does lighten the mood a lot, which is which is good because, you know, for Michael, he can be pretty serious and um, he has to practice a lot of self-control too. So, but, um, you know, Paisley gives that, uh, make the best of a, an uncomfortable situation, you know, a little bit better. So, uh, plus, you know, vampires in this book have venom that works like a drug. So that helps too. But um, the incident moments between Michael and Paisley weren't as difficult to imagine as I thought they'd be. You know, when all the elements came together and the timing was right and, the, you know, the characters kind of figured it out for themselves. Right, so, right. As okay. a writer, uh, I just had to write it down. You did a good job. Thank you. You also did a great job with the character building and scene setting. I was a bouncer for many years back in Atlanta when I lived in Georgia. The actions of Paisley and her best friend Kendra and Tessa at the bar were dead on. Plus, each character has a different personality. I like the fact that Paisley and Kendra are so different. Were these three characters based on people you know or maybe yourself? Yeah, I mean, they're a combination of people that I've known and met and probably even myself at one point or another in every one of those characters. Okay. You nailed the jealousy that is often felt between siblings, Michael and his half-brother, Aspen, and added fire to it with a sordid history between the two. You have brothers or sisters and use your own relationship with them in building the characters of Michael and Aspen? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have siblings. I'm the youngest of five, so I witnessed and experienced sibling rivalry and jealousy. And, of course, though, you know, not to the extent portrayed between Michael and Esben. I mean, their relationship is, you know, unhealthy, to say the least. You know, you take normal, healthy levels of uh, rivalry and you turn it up about 10 notches and you've got Michael and Esben. I thought the subplot between Michael, Esben, and Katya were ingenious. The way it stayed a mystery of what happened so long added to the story. Then when it was revealed, it showed a pattern that could repeat itself. How did you come up with that intense subplot? When I started the book and first mentioned Katya, I wasn't uh, entirely sure where I was going to go with it either. So, um, But then as the story progressed and went on, and I picked up on the patterns as well, and I thought, that's perfect. What audience are you hoping to reach with a cardless code? Well, uh, so naturally, you know, this book targets anyone who likes vampires or romances with supernatural elements. Um, but, you know, many years ago, long before I decided to write my own vampire novel, I was talking to a literary agent and the subject of vampires came up. And I remembered her saying that she didn't understand the appeal of vampires, you know, the sucking of blood, et cetera, and kind of made this, you know, uh, kind of cringe. And uh, I remembered that for some reason. So when developing Cardinal's Code, I saw it as a challenge to kind of broaden the appeal. I wanted to uh, create a very real experience that even those who may not be so into supernatural or even romances in general could take some sort of interest or at least appreciate in some way. Right. To mm -hmm. me, in my opinion, it's a book for men, women. So you did yeah. a good job there. Mm -hmm. Since the book does have some sexual themes and depicts violence, what is your age recommendation recommendation for the readers? Well, generally, generally I don't, you know, really make age recommendations, you know, uh, it's kind of up to the individual. I don't say, well, because, you know, you're this age and uh, I'm just you know, very honest. I put it out there. You know, this is a vampire book. There is violence. There are adult situations and it's kind of up to them at that point. Okay. What they think is appropriate or not. The Carlin's Code is available in ebook and paperback version. Any plans for an audio book? 
Uh, I have thought about it, but I haven't done enough research to come you know, to a decision on it. All right. Tell us in your own words what the Carly's Code is about. It's about Paisley Sullivan, who you know boldly kisses the stranger. And when she does that, she opens the door to a world that she can never unsee. Uh, Michael Chamberlain is a vampire, and Paisley becomes his contracted blood source. And despite his desire to keep their relationship you know, strictly professional, he begins to sweep her up into his glamorous life. But uh, events threaten to expose Paisley to a darker side of Michael's life. And this could destroy any hopes they have of it, happiness and could be the end of both of them. The College Code is an excellent book, one of the best I've read and reviewed this year. That brings me to the last two questions. Are there plans for another book dealing with the repercussions of this one? And if not, do you have another book in the works? And if so, what is it about? Um, there is a continuation in the works for Cardinal's Code. And uh, so hopefully some future announcements will be made soon. Okay. Once again, thank you for calling in. It was a pleasure talking with you and learning about the mastermind behind the Carlos Code. The crew is spotlighting the indie author wishes you success with the book and the best in life. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Hope you'll join us again when the next book comes out. I'll start the review of the Cardinals Code right after this quick news break. Indie book and author news in a flash with Kelly Winkler. Spotlighting the indie author is celebrating once again. We hit another milestone in downloads. This is the third straight month with over 100 downloads per month. That's great news by itself. But hang on, there is more. At this time of the recording, Spotlighting the indie author has over 230 downloads for the month of September. Thank you, listeners. We couldn't have done it without you. We mentioned in last week's show that Joseph Clay was scheduled to appear at the Bluegrass Comic Con on October 3rd in Louisville, Kentucky, and in Donaldson, Tennessee on October 17th at Rick's Comic City. Joseph has withdrew from these events due to personal reasons. Now back to Joseph. As mentioned, the Carnival's Code is a paranormal romance. I usually don't like nor read romances. But with all the changes going on here, I had no choice. I'm glad I didn't have a choice, or I would have missed one hell of a book. The story is centered on a country girl, Paisley Sullivan, and the Chamberlain family, and particularly Michael and his half-brother, Esben. Paisley leaves her home, headed for college in New York, with her best friend, Kendra. Paisley's uncle, who is traveling, lets the two stay at his home in the Hamptons while he is away. Once there, Paisley lands a job at the prestigious Illusion, the go-to club in the Hamptons. She has a tough go of it at first. Her boss, Seth, doesn't like the clothes she is purchasing with her hefty clothing allowance and gives her the nickname of Country. Kendra agrees with Seth and explains to Paisley that she does look like she just come in off the farm. With Kendra's sense of fashion, she gets Paisley on the right track. Paisley is selling in an illusion when she meets Michael. The meeting is not planned, but not by chance either. Paisley is having trouble shaking a customer who introduced himself as Esmond, who offers her a ride home. Esmond, although a good-looking man, is giving her the creeps, and she is relieved when she gets away from him. Once her shift ends, she spots Esmond once again staring at her. Paisley, feeling uneasy, needs a plan to avoid him. 
She spots another man coming down the stairs from the offices. She dashes past Esmond and up those stairs. She wraps her arms around the unknown man and plants a kiss on him. To her surprise, he kisses her back. Breathing heavy, she breaks the embrace and asks, Can you be mine for five minutes? That kiss was the linchpin that puts the fascinating tale in motion. The kiss made one's knees weak and sparked emotions in the other. The man Paisley had latched onto was none other than Michael Chamberlain, a successful business entrepreneur. The man she was trying to avoid was Michael's half-brother, Esmond Chamberlain. One of these men is a pure cardiosapien, vampire, and considered royalty. The other one, he's only half. That kiss on the stairs reignited a feud between Michael and Esmond for the attention and blood of Paisley. One desires Paisley for her blood and is a pawn which would allow him to get revenge for something that happened four years earlier. The other brother needs her for the blood, or is he falling in love with her? Which brother will get a blood donor contract with Paisley, and what will the other brother do to make Paisley his own? Which brother will take Paisley's virginity? Can Paisley, a human, and bound to a vampire's contract survive? I'll be right back to talk about the basics after Keller reads the book blurb of the Cardinal's Code by Avery Starling. Take it away, Kelly. What if vampires were a superior species and nearly undetectable? As successful, influential individuals, vampires live under a strict set of rules created by their government. The Cardinalese Order. Are you ready to understand what it means to break the Cardinalese Code? When successful business entrepreneur Michael Chamberlain arrives in the Hamptons to take over his father's nightclub, he's in search of a new Donataire, a contracted blood source. Troubled and distant, Michael discovers he's still very much alive when enticed by a beautiful woman, offering a kiss and a question. Can you be mine for five minutes? Student Paisley Sullivan serves at the prestigious nightclub to pay her tuition. When she meets the mysterious Michael Chamberlain, who she believes to be just a gorgeous bartender with an attitude, she soon discovers her world is ruled by a species not of her own. Wealth and glamour shroud a dark side that threatens her life when she signs Michael's contract. In this steamy romance, two lovers wield a charming relationship that will be destroyed by the Order if she breaks just one rule. Thank you, Kelly. Now to the basics. This shouldn't take long, as the Cardinalese Code was a well-written book with attention paid to detail and the basics. However, we'll still discuss book cover and blurb, editing and formatting, along with plotting characters. Book cover. Two thumbs up. The cover is simple but informative, listing the codes that the vampires have to live by. There is bright red splatters representing blood drops on the white background. The cover appears to be ripped along the right-hand side, revealing a woman on black background. Her skin tone? Crimson. Book blurb. Although the blurb is 30 words over the ideal length of 150, I give it two thumbs up also. It was well written and meets the ideal blurb criteria. Editing. Another two thumbs up. The mistakes were nearly impossible to find. I can only remember one off the top of my head. There was also a small issue with the timeline. Formatting. This is another one of those books that stepped away from traditional formatting. The chapters appear on the next available page, whether it's the right or the left. This book also has no table of contents. That was the only thing about this book that disappointed me, and that's not really the author's fault. Plot and character building were discussed in the interview. I give both two thumbs up. We'll give it more, but hey, I've only got two thumbs. 
Listen up, indie authors. Here's a tip for you. We all know about what is called info dumping and how it kills a story. Avery Sterling pulled this off perfectly by making the information part of the story that keeps the story interesting and moving. This information was revealed in playful banter, heated conversation, or thought by allowing the characters to ask questions that help that character understand the life of a vampire. The readers learned how a human is turned and plus gives some of the history of vampires and more. Now to rewarding the Carlese code, some stars. Let's get to it. The Carlese code surprised me on many different levels. I was astonished. This was Avery Sterling's first release. Next was the fact it wasn't your normal vampire story. It had depth and was enjoyable to read. I finished the book in a day, eight hours and found it hard to put down. The story was well-rounded with equal amounts of romance, suspense, and action. The book has a prologue and an epilogue. As with most books, the prologue was repeated, not in as much detail, but the important facts of it retold in the story. The epilogue, however, was perfect and closed the book out as it should have. This is undoubtedly the best book I have read in 2020. The writing was excellent. The storyline superb and the characters were perfect. The other basics of the book were almost flawless. That brings us to the warning of the stars. Spotlighting the Indie Author Awards, the Cardinese Code by Avery Sterling. 4.75 stars out of five and a round of applause. Great job, Avery. Kelly, quickly give us the details of the book and where it can be purchased. The Cardinalese Code was released in March of 2020 and is available in ebook and paperback on all the major outlets. The link to Books to Read, which has all the outlets linked, will be in the show notes. The Cardinalese Code ebook version is priced on Amazon at $3.99. The paperback has a list price of $21.99, but right now it can be purchased for $10.36. Spotlighting the indie author purchased the paper to review and support the indie author. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Kelly, and that wraps up the book review for The Cardinalese Code by Avery Sterling. Before we go any further, I would like to apologize to Avery for murdering the title of her book. Even after she told me how to pronounce it, I still screwed up several more times. I feel bad as this was an excellent first release. As a matter of fact, this was the second novel this year by an indie author that the story along with the writing and basics was superb. The first was the award-winning tale by Lauren Robinson titled The Boy Who Saw in Colors. I'll put a link to that review in the show notes. Kelly, I know you have a lot of data in front of you. Do you by any chance have what we paid for the Cardinalese code? Let me see. Yes. Um, here it is. Back in May, Spotlighting the Indie Author paid $21.99. That's what I thought. I wonder who is responsible for the price reduction. The author or Amazon. Doesn't matter. Listen up again, Indie Authors. Here's another tip. The best way to tick a reader off who buys your book, put it at a lower price than they paid for it. No matter how good the book is, they probably won't buy another one. You still seem to be in deep thought. You need anything else from me before we close? Yes, I am. I don't know if you can help, though. You see, I'm pretty sure I'm a vampire. What? Vampires don't... Hold up and listen to me for a second. I love the nighttime and do most of my work in the wee hours of the morning. I do most of my sleeping during the day. And like Michael in the book, my eyes and scent seem to memorize and hypnotize women. 
<laughs> what color was Michael's eyes? What scent are you speaking of? When his mother greeted him, she said, hello, ebony eyes. And the scent is a mixture of sandalwood and musk with a faint citrus undertone. Hmm. The scent sounds like a cologne. I'm betting you are just a night owl, and it's your imagination that lets you think you memorize women. Females like the smell in your cologne, but are not hypnotized by it. Next question. What color are your eyes? Blue. But when I was born, they said they were black as coal. They didn't begin to change color till later. But they are blue now. Okay, now tell me. When is the last time you had to bite someone? Maybe there's something wrong with my canines, and they don't extend allowing me to bite people. Trust me, you are not a vampire. Plus, last month you swore you were Batman. You can't be both. Well, yeah, I know I'm Batman, but maybe Batman is a vampire. Vampires always seem to be rich, and Batman is loaded. He loves the nighttime and lives with bats. See, it all fits together. Tell you what, tell the folks what's coming up next. I need to make a phone call. <laughs> My pleasure. Episode 14 will air on October 15th. That show will be a book review of The Hell Next Door by Mark McLaughlin. Thank you, Kelly. That title alone hints that this will be a great book to review right before Halloween. Nothing like a tale of hard to get us ready for the scariest night of the year. Go ahead and close this show out, please. I'm out of here. Headed to the dentist to see why my fangs won't extend. Figured I'd also get them to see if my venom ducts were clogged and have the fangs sharpened. Okay, <laughs> let me know how it goes. Remember, those walking a munch, y'all, may look like you, but a different species, a higher species, who crave the blood of mere mortals such as yourself. Music used in today's podcast, intro, outro, music, thriller, announcement five by Zaggy2, courtesy of Free Sound. Background music, Never Stop Dreaming by Crescent Music, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated. Besides what was mentioned in the podcast, the show notes will also contain the following. The link to Spotlighting the Indie Authors podcast webpage. Links to the hosts of today's show along with any guest. Links to Spotlighting the Indie Authors blog. The blog will include any information obtained about the guest or books after the podcast aired. The sound effect credits and the technical data on the recording of today's show. This was episode number 13, a 2020 production of Spotlighting the Indie Author, a josephyclay.com podcast. From myself and the Spotlighting the Indie Author crew, this is Kelly Winkler. Bye, everyone. Bye.